2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Focus Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
4: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know like this, I ain't no spy girl.
4: Like never before.
2: That's my daughter. That's my Amy.
4: Big screen.
2: I want to be remembered. For just being me.
4: Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
0: Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today... We're talking about one of those basics of culinary everything.
1: Everything, yeah. Salt, salts. Not the movie. No. As you would guess, watch, watching, listening to a food podcast, <laughs> we are not talking about the Angelina Jolie 2010 movie.
0: I, I, I mean, I guess we could have. I have
1: never seen it, but I could, I could guess. I think <laughs> what goes on. I have I. <laughs> Don't remember
0: that being a film, but uh, but I'm sure <laughs> oh. I'm sure it happened. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Um, one salt is so such a big thing that the Oxford English Dictionary has four pages of references to salt, wow. and that beats all other foods.
0: Oh my goodness, huh.
1: that, How big a thing it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's also just really integral to a lot of history, like a lot of things. Without salt, well, A, I guess none of us would technically be alive, but but, B, uh, yeah, just just all kinds of technologies have been driven by the quest for salt.
1: This is true.
0: And this is a special episode because we got to
1: talk to local Atlanta salt expert Susie Sheffield of Beautiful
0: Briny Sea. Yes, a maker of dry goods, including a number of salt blends.
1: Yes, um, and you'll get to hear a bit of that interview at the end, and— they were so gracious and we got to try so many salt samples. Oh, it was beautiful. They
0: sent us home with like a goodie bag of a yes. a frisbee, a frisbee. Thank, thank, thank you so much to them. Um and uh he, yeah, well, one of the first times that I've that I've heard someone speak about the flavor of different salts the and way that she does. So Yeah,
1: it's really, it's really great. And also, Susie, if you're listening, don't panic about the the health bit that's coming at the front. Oh. Yeah. yeah, because it's always better to, for your, your health and for the taste of food to use salt at home to cook your own food, if you can, if you have time. Yeah, and so,
0: sparingly, and perhaps in blends to bring out other flavors.
1: Perhaps, perhaps in delicious, delicious blends. But now, perhaps we should go ahead and answer, answer that question, Lauren.
5: Oh,
0: salt, salt? What is it? It's a big question. It is. Um, there are lots of types of salt, but uh, in general, what we're talking about is sodium chloride. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes called table salt. Sometimes. That's the most common. It's also called halite, which is salt's mineral name, which is also sometimes called rock salt. Uh, rock salt is generally not food grade, and you probably should not lick it. Uh, it might contain mineral or bacterial imp- impurities that would not be good for you. Um, but it is great for getting a container cold enough to make ice cream or for melting the ice on your sidewalk. Oh, yeah. Uh, and despite what the seasoning aisle of your very fancy local grocer might lead you to believe, there are just three basic types of food-grade salt. You got table salt, sea salt, and kosher salt. Table salt is that, uh, that fine-grained, clear-to-white, highly standardized stuff that you'll find in salt shakers across the land. Uh-huh. It's been processed to remove mineral impurities and probably contains some kind of like non-clumping agents such as calcium phosphate and also maybe iodine or other dietary additives. More on that in a second. Okay. Sea salt can be coarse or fine or flaky depending on how the crystals are grown and harvested and processed. And it can come in a whole bunch of different colors depending on what trace minerals exist in the, uh, in the evaporation ponds or chambers where it's made. Iron oxide from volcanic clay or uh, carotene from algae might be the reason that a salt is pink. Mm-hmm. Charcoal or sulfuric compounds can make salt black. And sea clay or wood smoke can produce gray salts.
1: hmm Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: These can change the flavor of the salt a little bit in terms of the minerals or quite a lot in terms of the smoke, depending on, you know, what exactly is involved.
5: Yeah. And
0: kosher salt is coarse-grained and, again, clear or white. It is also processed to remove impurities but generally does not contain additives. It's called kosher salt because it's used in making meats kosher. It uh, draws out the blood really quickly. Oh, We'll have to do a whole other episode on koshering. Oh, yeah, we absolutely should. Sure, yeah. Um, quick cooking tip. Uh, keep keep the size of your salt's crystals in mind when you're cooking because uh, flakes and fine crystals are best in situations like baking and finishing when you want to disperse the salt evenly and let it dissolve quickly. Uh, coarser grains, don't smoosh in with each other as much as finer grains will. So if you're if you're measuring coarse-grained salt for a recipe that calls for table salt, then you might need to add more of it. Okay. Sodium by itself is just highly volatile and chlorine is toxic, but the two together are necessary for life in humans and other animals. How can this be? I know. I I thought I thought I was supposed to eat less salt. Yeah. That's what I hear. It's well, I mean you probably should. <laughs> uh, but, but the sodium in salt is necessary for a few different bodily functions. It it helps your cells and organs maintain their proper fluid balance. It's used in the contraction and relaxation of your muscle fibers, you know, like including your heart, important yeah. stuff like that. Uh-huh. And it also transmits nerve impulses. So you need some sodium in your diet. Right. And since sodium molecules are fickle, the best way for us to get it is via salt. Mm-hmm. Also, on the good end, some salt helpfully comes iodized. That is, with small amounts of iodine added during manufacture. And iodine is another essential mineral that our bodies cannot make, so we have to get it from our food. Our thyroid gland uses iodine to make the hormone thyroxin, which sounds great. Uh, And it is great. It, It then uses that thyroxin to help control just a whole bunch of different bodily functions. Breathing, heart rate, metabolism, body weight... When we don't get enough iodine, the thyroid enlarges and becomes overactive in this attempt to grab up more, causing a goiter to form. That's a a kind of bulge at the front of the neck where the thyroid is located. And the thyroid in that condition cannot make enough thyroxin, which can throw off all of those functions I I mentioned. And even worse, it can uh, stunt physical and mental growth in children. So yeah, iodine is found naturally in seawater, and so... If you're eating seafood or vegetables that were grown on land that was once a seabed, uh, frequently like coastal areas or or other low-lying areas, you can get enough on your own. But for folks who live inland or at higher elevations and who do not import a lot of food hyperthyroidism can be a serious problem. It was such an epidemic in some parts of the United States in the 1920s that we started iodizing salt because, A, it's easily done, and, and B, salt is predictably consumed by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. In developing areas of the world, stuff like fluoride and folic acid are similarly added to salt for public health purposes. But... You only need a tiny amount of salt to get your sodium, maybe as little as like 200 milligrams per day. Ooh, ooh. The average American eats about 3,400 milligrams per day.
1: That's a little bit higher than 200 milligrams. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. Just a little bit. Um, according to the CDC, high salt consumption might come out to $20 billion a year in health costs. Um, the research behind that number is disputed, though, worth noting.
0: But it, it's, a, it's a high amount. It is. Um, and the, the problem with salt is that when you eat too much of it, your, your kidneys try to flush the excess sodium out through your urine. But if they still can't flush enough, that sodium can build up in the fluid between your cells. And your body will try to dilute it by holding on to water, which increases the volume of the fluid between your cells and the volume of your blood. And that puts pressure on your blood vessels and makes your heart work harder to pump all that blood. And eventually, with continued exposure, this can harden the walls of your blood vessels, creating high blood pressure and increasing your risk of stuff like heart attack, heart failure, and stroke. Yeah. Not good times. Mm -mm. Studies into how much salt is too much are also conflicting. Uh, But most public health organizations agree that eating over 2,300 milligrams a day will have negative impacts on your health. That's about a teaspoon, uh, and it's also about two-thirds of what the average American eats. So, reduced by a third, y'all. Okay. Especially uh, if you, like many of us, eat a lot of processed and heavily salted foods in restaurants and at home, perhaps especially through snacks, fast food, uh, processed meats, and prepared meals, either boxed or frozen.
1: Yeah, I had this favorite meal as a kid, and it was um, a mushroom fettuccine Alfredo in a bag. Oh. And I remember the day when I realized that, one, the serving size, there were three servings in there, uh-huh. and I was reading it as if it was one. As if it was
0: one. So oh. multiply everything by
1: three. And the salt before multiplied was 2,300 milligrams. Oh, my goodness. And then that was the last time I ever ate it. Like, even as a kid, I knew oh, that's— wow. That's too much. Oh,
0: good. good for you. Yeah. That's great. I, I tend to, salt is one of the things I tend to ignore. But after doing this research, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> this is going to impact my ramen habit.
1: Well, it also, I remember the saturated fat, it was like 70 grams of saturated fat. <laughs> there were other
0: problems in the salt.
1: <laughs> it was enough for a high school me to say, to
0: say oh, you know nope. what? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be eating this. Don't like it that much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the best way to cut down on salt is to, prepare your own snacks and meals from fresh ingredients. Though, of course, that can be super expensive uh, in terms of money and or time. So just if your family has a history of heart trouble, read your food labels, uh, choose unsalted or less salted foods and add your own pizzazz at home. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to use less than what would be in pre-seasoned foods. And you can also cut back a little bit by experimenting with herbs and spices or step down off of pure salt by using uh, seasoning blends. But now if you're asking yourself... All that health stuff is terrifying, but what I'm here to learn is something not terrifying. I was asking myself that. <laughs> well, it's not really a question, but I thank you for going with me on it. You're I, okay. I appreciate the yes and. Uh, so, so let's talk about how salt is made. Generally, less terrifying. There is some mining involved. Uh, salt exists in two basic forms in nature as rocks or halite, and dissolved in the ocean. Ocean water is salty because of the water cycle. Um, rain and runoff collect sodium and chloride on their way to the ocean, where the salt collects when, when water evaporates to start the whole process over again. Lakes generally don't get salty because they generally have outlets to to keep their water flowing and fresh, like a, like a good rap song. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I see what you did there.
0: <laughs> uh, halite is formed by deposits of salt from ancient oceans, that have been buried during hundreds of thousands of years of tectonic plate shifts, which is like pretty badass when you it, it is. get right to it. Um, halite is mined the way that other minerals are via shafts that are drilled and, and rooms cut out into the deposits. And the, the halite, like I said, is usually used as rock salt. Most table salt is created by something called solution mining. Uh, this is where you, you find a salt deposit on the surface and erect a, a well over it, then inject water down into the salt to dissolve it. You pump out the resulting brine, take it to a factory where the brine can be treated to remove any impurities, and then you evaporate the water out in a vacuum pans. Vacuum pans? Oh, yeah. Ooh. High pressure, high heat. Good times. The remaining salt is dried into crystals and then refined. And sea salt, as you may have guessed, starts with seawater, or salty lake water occasionally, you uh, build shallow pools or trays, fill them with salt water, and let the sun evaporate the water out. When the salt reaches the right thickness for what you're going for, you harvest it, then wash and refine it to the crystal size that you want. And traditionally, the harvest is done by hand, which is why some sea salts can be very expensive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's our... Basic intro of
1: salt, of this oh, massive topic. <laughs> um, but we've got a lot of history for you. We
0: do. But first, we've got a word from our sponsor. This episode is
1: brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.
2: let's hit it give me a vacation Vacation. give me a wave surfing give me a city Tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san Diego.org. Funded in part with the city of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Me.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes. All right. Here we go. Salt human history. Humans. Oh, what are those? I'm still trying to figure that out. That is a different podcast. (laughs) But on this podcast, we're going to talk about salt. And uh, humans have been producing salt through salt winning as far back as the Neolithic area. Oh, wow. (laughs) Area? Area. (laughs) That's a different thing. The Neolithic era. But we were— gathering it from where it could be found tens of thousands of years previous. Um, our early ancestors would follow trails to sal- salt licks blazed by animals, and under human feet, these paths turned into roads with villages alongside them. At first, getting enough salt from the surface wasn't a problem, but once humanity's diet pivoted from salt-rich meats to more cereals and grains, getting enough of the stuff grew Difficult, and this made salt quite the pricey commodity, and it led to the creation of several of the world's first major trade routes. Yeah, and first major roads, too. Um, One of the earliest known instances of salt cultivation traces back to 6,000 BCE China at Lake Lake Yongcheng. During the dry season, water from the lake evaporated, leaving salt flats ripe for picking, (laughs)
2: harvesting.
1: Yeah. Um, Several wars were fought over control of this lake, perhaps, probably, most definitely, in part, due Ah. to the salt. The first written record of Chinese salt production surfaces around 800 BCE, but in this writing are tales of salt production going back over a thousand years. Oh, wow. When salt gatherers would put seawater in clay pots and boil the water until all that remained was salt. This was the same method later used in Southern Europe and the Roman Empire. Further written records indicate that around 450 BCE, the Chinese were producing salt using iron pans, and the process was similar to that of the clay pot. For the most part, early Chinese salt was used in the making of condiments, like we kind of talked about in ketchup, um, paste, or sauces, including an early fermented fish and soybean sauce that was the precursor to soy sauce. Oh.
0: Yeah. soy sauce is going to be a good topic. It is. Chinese
1: Governor Li Bing figured out in 252 BCE that the salt brine was coming from underground and instructed miners to drill for the first brine wells. The workers sometimes got sick and died seemingly randomly, or an explosion or um, shafts of fire would take out several workers at once. Um, Soon, whispers and rumors of evil spirits from the underworld were blamed for these deaths. Oh, um, well, I think
0: that's fair at that and point. Totally, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: these rumors rose to such prominence, two large wells gained reputations as hell mouths. Hell mouths, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> 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 and each year, the local governors would make offerings to the well to keep the evil at bay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that was
0: probably ineffective.
1: No, yeah, probably.
0: Oh.
1: Um, a century or so later, in 100 CE, people were setting fire to this invisible substance— and using it for cooking, even making mud-insulated bamboo tubes situated over the holes where they knew this invisible stuff was coming out. Uh to pipe it. To pipe it, um, and they would put it in these sheds called boiling houses, and inside these boiling houses were iron pots filled with brine, which was boiled down into salt crystals with the mysterious invisible stuff. Oh, wow. Natural gas. Natural gas. Yeah, this was probably the first time it was ever used— Salt production also led China to develop the um, percussive drilling, the most high-tech drilling method for several centuries. So, they were ahead of the game. Way ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: way ahead. To this day, China is still the leading producer of salt.
1: Oh. The ancient Egyptians figured out salt's usefulness in preservation, and they employed their knowledge of this during mummification Ah, so cool. Mummies shipped down the Nile were taxed in the same category as salted meats. <laughs> That's a
0: little bit, but okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tombs for rich folks going back over 4,000 years have been found to contain salted birds or fish. Similar to what the ancient Chinese had going on, salt was gathered from lake beds or Nile marshes, then combined with water and or vinegar, and then mixed with fish parts to make a fish sauce that was very, very popular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One ancient record praised, there is no better food than salted vegetables. I might agree. Oh, yeah, I know. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the same process was used for preserving the mummies. Oh, wow. Well. Mm-hmm. The body is placed in natron, which is known as divine salt, covered it entirely over for 70 days, never longer. 70 days, Lauren. That's it? hmm By 2800 BCE, the Egyptians were trading their salted fish. The Phoenicians followed suit in 800 BCE. China was in on the salt trade game by at least 1800 BCE. In 6th century BCE, England towns um, they, England towns were formed near where salt could be found, and this uh, is where the suffix which w i c h comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least for, by at least 400 C.E., northern Europeans were getting salt from mines near Salzburg, which translates to
0: "salt town."
1: <laughs> I get so excited about these like <laughs> words, uh,
0: especially yeah, yeah. Oh, that etymology show someday, someday will happen.
1: One day, Lauren. Um, these mines weren't very stable, the ones near Salzburg, and it wasn't uncommon for miners to find perfectly preserved bodies of their predecessors. Oh. That's a little terrifying. Yep. Rome was also built near salt, and the first road they constructed to reach their salt works after they moved it a bit further away was named Via Salaria, the salt road. Oh. hmm As far back as 6th century B.C.E., Roman leaders controlled the salt trade in the empire, and during times of turmoil or poverty, Roman officials would make sure the price of salt was low to keep people calm, except during the Punic Wars when a high salt tax was used to fund the military. Ah. The tax was based off of your home's distance from the salt mine, and the fellow who determined this was no joke called the saltinator.
0: Saltinator?
1: The saltinator.
0: I don't even have a pun prepared for this.
1: I have a great visual in my head, but that doesn't help anybody. No. Well, nonetheless. We'll
0: work on it. Write, yeah. in, write, in, write in if you've got one, <laughs> a y'all. A saltinator pun. Yeah.
1: Um, and some more etymology. The Roman word for salt, sal, is closely related to the goddess of health, Salus, because they would use it not only to preserve meats, but also to preserve your health. As an antiseptic, ah. um, salt is also where the word salary comes from, and the word soldier. A soldier's pay used to have a salt component, unless the soldier wasn't cutting it, and his pay would be slashed because he wasn't worth his salt. Ah. Yeah, this phrase also derived from the practice of buying slaves with salt in both Italy and Greece. Salad also comes from the Roman word for salt. Uh, Because uh, the Romans would salt their lettuce. Oh. Yeah. Salting the earth um, comes from the ancient practice of militaries making sure crops couldn't grow back by plowing the fields with salt. Yeah, Yeah. Large salt deposits had already been mined in India prior to Alexander the Great's arrival. The Aztec and Maya traded salt pre-Columbus, too. And before, we've talked about Venice and the influence it wielded over the spice trade, and it was no different with salt. Ah trade with Constantinople in particular made them quite rich. Those in power in China were also doing their best to take control of the salt trade in their country by 1st century CE. Emperor Zhao Di organized a group to discuss the salt and iron monopoly, which was documented in the Discourse on Salt and Iron. By the 1st century CE, salt accounted for half of the Chinese state's revenue. yeah. By 4th century CE, the Chinese suspected a link between iodine deficiency and goiters. So they were already— They were on it. Yeah. If we look at Africa by 6th century CE, Moorish traders would use salt to pay for an ounce of gold. And until 1935, salt slabs were a currency in Ethiopia. Wow. Marco Polo told tales of salt coins with Genghis Khan's face on them in 1295. Other uses for salt started popping up in the 18th century, including the invention of a method to get sodium carbonate in 1792, which led to soda water. Oh, right. Yeah. By 1850, that's where 15% of the salt in France was going. Ah. Very popular. Yeah. Salts and high taxes on salt. Um, That was one of the many grievances that led to the French Revolution. Much later, in the 1930s, the British... Solely controlled and profited from Indian salt production, and Gandhi protested by leading a large group to the coast to make their own their own salt in the Salt March to Dundee. Oh wow! Yeah. In 1800s France, Napoleon called for a deep dive in the connection between goiters and iodine deficiency, which produced the first scientific evidence and led to the recommendation of iodized salt in 1833. French scientist B. Courtois first isolated iodine (laughs) from—I know I said iodine. Lauren (laughs) and I have been doing this the whole time—iodine from the burnt remains of seaweed a couple of decades earlier in 1811. The reason Napoleon pushed for this was to get to the bottom of why large swaths of men from certain regions were being rejected for military service. Oh. It would become commercially available in the States in the 1920s, iodized salt, in early America, the first patent for salt production went to Massachusetts, which would continue to produce salt for 200 years. The main reason the Erie Canal opened was mainly to speed up the transportation of salt. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Salt was such an important resource during the American Civil War, any man on the Confederate side willing to work in salt production was waived of military service, particularly after the Union captured Confederate salt works. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But lately, due to those health things we mentioned earlier, salt has taken a bit of a hit in popularity, but I would say, like, fancier salt.
0: is way on the rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is nice. It's nice to have options. It really
1: is. It really is.
0: So that's kind of a <laughs> whirlwind of history. Yes,
1: yes. There's a, a, lot, a lot out there about salt.
0: Yeah, and uh, the the reasons why salt was this important, uh, in, in addition to being a thing that we literally need to make our bodies work, um, is that it's got a couple other really cool properties. And yeah. we will get into those after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Visit pronamel.com.
2: Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. Courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We'll Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Battle Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Focus
4: Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
4: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know this. I ain't no spy Girl.
4: Like never before.
2: That's my daughter. That's my Amy.
4: On the big screen.
2: I want to be remembered. Could just be a me.
4: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay. We eat a lot of salt. Yes. We've established this. Yes. But... We actually use more of it to salt roads during the winter. We absolutely do. We do. Adding salt to roads lowers the rate of accidents by over 80%, which is a big deal, especially because injury prevention aside, snow-covered roads can cost the state up to $700 million a day here in the U.S.
0: and like lost workforce and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oof. So um, (laughs) it does have a lot of these fascinating Sort of chemical properties. I and I ran across. Um, it's like a. It's a Smokey the Bear esque mascot named uh-huh. Old Salty. Old Salty. He looks. I guarantee you, what you're picturing in your head is what it is. Uh, he's got like a grizzly beard and a pipe, and his slogan is "Never gamble on an unsalted road." <laughs> <laughs> old Salty.
0: Oh, Old Salty. Uh, I think. Oh man, if if he weren't copyright protected, which I'm sure he is, then yeah. he would be a new character in our foodstuff bill. Yes.
1: That we're building out that slowly. Building. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I cannot I cannot tell you how old Salty works, but I can tell you the reasons behind some of these chemical and physical properties that salt has. Um because it really is kind of a miracle worker. Yeah. Uh, when salt forms a solution with water. It changes the temperature at which the water, or the solution, really, freezes and boils. So, salt water freezes at a lower temperature than regular water does. That's why salt is applied to roads. It forms a solution with the ice and keeps that solution liquid at below freezing temperatures. That's why you also might add salt to the ice bath that you use to chill the bowl of an old-fashioned ice cream maker. As the salt melts the ice, the solution gets colder than it was because the, the physical process of, of melting releases heat energy. Mm-hmm. So it goes like a few, like noticeably degrees colder and will therefore help your ice cream form up faster. Oh, thanks, salt. Yeah. Also, salty water boils at a higher temperature than regular water. It won't make a pot of water boil faster, but it will make it boil hotter. Oh. So if you're, for example, dropping pasta into it, it's going to cook a little bit quicker, which is exactly what you want for something for like good al dente pasta. Because if you leave it in there, it just gets soggy. Nobody wants right? Nobody wants sog- soggy pasta. Do you remember the Olive Garden conundrum? The Olive Garden conundrum? <laughs>
1: That's what I'm calling it. What? No, I don't. I no, it was like an economic... Um, I feel kind of bad for Olive Garden, not that I like Olive Garden, but <laughs> they weren't putting um, salt in there. Water oh, uh-huh. to boil it, and it's, like, such a basic
0: thing. Yeah. Oh, it's such a basic Italian thing, and so, right,
1: they yeah. got really
0: dinged on it from, like, the Italian-American community going, like, you call yourselves Italian?
1: <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I think there's some there's some economic—they call it the Olive Garden something. Oh. Where they would have been saving money and producing a better product <laughs> had they done this simple step. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to hit on uh, hit on Olive Garden
0: well, I do. much longer, I'm so let's, let's move on. Yeah, uh, w- another one of the amazing properties of salt is that it is hygroscopic, uh-huh. which is a fancy way of saying that it attracts water molecules. Crystals of salt actually absorb molecules of water the, the way that a towel does, uh, or even more hardcore than a towel does, really, because the salt will keep absorbing water until— it dissolves into a saltwater solution. Your average bath towel will not do that. No, no ma'am. No. Mm-mm. If it does, I'm not sure who you even call at that point.
1: Ghostbusters, if they were real. <laughs>
0: Clearly. <laughs>
1: Obviously.
0: And this, not the Ghostbusters, but the hygroscopic thing, is why salt is such a good preservative. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack that a little bit. When food spoils, it means microorganisms have started eating your food before you had a chance to get to it. Uh, that A makes it gross and B makes it possibly hazardous to eat because those microorganisms might produce toxic byproducts either in the food or in your body if you if you eat them. For once, this is a non-triumphant cry of bacteria poop. It's it like a, a oh, bacteria a poop. Oh. Yeah. Womp womp. <laughs> um but those microorganisms need water to live, just just like you and me. There's a lot of water in fresh foods, and in chemistry, this is measured in what's called the product water activity. It's it's a number that signifies how many free water molecules are present in the given food. Many fresh foods have around 0.99 water activity. If you lower that to 0.94, most disease-causing bacteria cannot grow, and around 0.91, most any bacteria cannot grow. Molds are a little bit hardier. You've got to go below, like, 0.80. Uh, but you can achieve this through salt curing. When you put salt on a food, it, it'll draw water molecules out of the food until it forms a saltwater solution. The solution will then, via the process of osmosis, work to balance the molecules of salt inside and outside of the food, meaning that salt goes in and water goes out to the surface where it can evaporate. mm mm-hmm. Salt also messes with microorganisms in another way. Uh, it can disrupt the activity of their enzymes and even weaken the molecular structure of their DNA, which makes it pretty hard for them to, like, thrive and reproduce.
1: Yeah. I imagine so. Yeah. it's Not good. I keep thinking about this that Seinfeld episode where <laughs> George's dad, he, he was like a chef for the army in Vietnam— and he, he got this shipment of bad meat. Uh-huh. And he was trying to hide that it had spoiled. Oh. And he put like so much salt and seasoning <laughs> on it. And then everybody got sick. Got really sick. And he, you know, he was having like flashbacks. It <sighs> was playing. It was some movie I haven't seen that they were parroting, but it stuck with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bet it was Apocalypse Now.
1: Probably. It probably was. Further research. Yes, different thing. Absolutely. Uh, but we do have a little bit more about um, one of the things I really wanted to know. Salt's connection to religion and superstition.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not just a—well, I mean, I, I'm not the only one who would call it a miracle worker.
1: No, no, you're not. Throughout history, salt has held an almost supernatural importance. According to Homer, salt was divine. And I said that with such a like, attitude. Like attitude. I didn't divine. mean to. Um, Plato called it a, <laughs> a substance dear to the gods. From the Bible, Leviticus 2.13 with all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. There's also, of course, ye are the salt of the earth, which denotes the worthy members of the Christian flock. In the biblical story of Lot, um, he and his family are fleeing the city of Sodom, and he, they're all instructed to never look back. But Lot's doubtful wife did just that and turned into a pillar of salt. Ah, Later, though, salt seemed to get back in Christianity's good book, Oh, oh, man, I was so proud of myself when I wrote that. <laughs> I was like, Eddie, you're really, you're really making it work today. Um, in early Rome, salt was placed on the lips of an eight-day-old infant, a baptismal ceremony which evolved to the placing of a salt morsel in the baby's mouth to make sure the whole thing really took. Oh, good. Yeah. Because it's a preservative, the Jewish people saw it as a symbol of the everlasting covenant between God and Israel. And the salt as a purifier thing is probably where the trope you see in horror and supernatural entertainment of making a circle of salt are placing salt at the doors and the windows, and this will protect you from malevolent ghosts or spirits. Um, Buddhism and Shintoism hold similar beliefs about the cleansing aspects of salt. In the Shinto rite of sumo wrestling, a handful of salt is tossed into the center of the ring before the wrestlers enter. Ah. And for Buddhist tradition, salt is tossed over the shoulder before returning to your home after a funeral to get rid of any evil spirits that are riding on your back.
0: Ah, so yeah. much salt tossing goes on in these. Yeah. I think I think there's going to be another one in a second.
1: Yeah. And I, I totally forgot until I was doing this research that my mom gave me a purifying Himalayan salt lamp for Christmas. This year? Yeah. Oh,
0: wow.
1: <laughs> I like it. It's pretty. And, yeah, yeah. Um, salt
0: lamps are beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. In Ozark superstition, it's a widely held belief that the devil hates salt. Okay. And therefore, witches eat very little salt. So people would observe how much, how much salt, salt you ladies consuming? be eating. Oh. And if you weren't eating that much salt, you could be in some serious trouble. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, this religiosity took on a more supernatural aspect. You would cry over spilled salt, for example, because it meant Impending doom. Oh. Leonardo da Vinci even depicted this in his painting of The Last Supper with the spilled salt cellar in oh. front of it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that's what that was. No. And then I read this. While I'm reading what I wrote, (laughs) I wrote this thing that I read. Oh, my gosh. Um, To dispatch this bad omen, the subject of the spilled salt would pinch some between the fingers and toss it over the left shoulder. The left side was where all the bad spirits were hanging out. Clearly. Um, anything, And you could get worse things than bad spirits. I'm going to guess that's where the tossing the salt over the shoulder for good luck or to ward off bad luck comes from. But I never found anything definitive about that. And a further note about the salt cellar, which is sort of a tub for salt. Yeah. Until the late 18th century, according to Amy Vanderbilt's Complete Book of Etiquette, social status at banquets was determined by where the guests sat in relation to the usually very fancy silver salt cellar. Oh. Yeah. So the host and any distinguished guest were seated at the head of the table or above the salt. The further below the salt you were, the less important you are, and you, you might as well just go home. Oh, man. You're at the other end of the table.
0: Duly noted, if I ever want to deliver a really good, like, like seventeen hundred <laughs> sick burn. Okay. Uh,
1: no one gets it, but in your head you're like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never know. <laughs> um, there are a couple of theories about where the phrase grain of salt comes from, one involving our old friend Pliny. Oh. Yeah. His writings described a recipe for a poison— <laughs> That called for a grain of salt, to as an antidote, um, meaning you can take the threats of being poisoned less seriously or with a grain, grain of, of salt. salt. Yeah. Okay. Um, a different version of the story: Roman general Pompey allegedly would swallow small portions of a bunch of different poisons in an effort to make himself immune. And instead of a spoonful of sugar, he used some salt to help the poison go down. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Sure, improve <laughs> the taste of anything. Um, it could also be a mistranslation. In Latin, it could translate to either with a grain of salt or with a grain of wit. Oh.
0: Yeah. That actually makes a lot more sense than any of those other things.
1: It probably is I that. I
0: feel really silly now.
1: <laughs> Don't feel silly, Lauren. Um, as for the phrase salty, ah, uh-huh. Um, Meaning irritated. It dates all the way back to 1938. All right. But it was first submitted to Urban Dictionary in 2002. Its more modern usage is thought to have originated in online gaming communities.
0: Huh. Yeah. Cheers to whoever brought that one back. Yeah.
1: I I know. I'm like, 1938. Um, Aside from religion, there are so many fairy tales with salt, almost all of which having some aspect of salt being worth as much as if not more than gold or why the seas are salty that usually involves some kind of revenge ah oh. yeah so if you're interested in food and stuff fairy tales about salt they are out there oh out there more for the reading.
0: more more fairy tales for our for our story hour i know oh perfect yes okay great make make a catalog
1: and a couple of days ago, for Lauren and I, not probably for you listening. Probably not. That's a weird time thing that happens with podcasting. Lauren and
0: I, we, we got to go on a foodstuff field trip. Ah, which is so great. Oh, we So love many them. opportunities around Atlanta, yeah.
1: They are. There are. Um, and we got to go visit beautiful Briny Sea, where they make salt and, and also blends. And other dry goods. Oh, yeah. Sprinkles, sugar. Yeah. It was lovely. We got to talk to the uh, founder, Susie. She was fantastic, and we got to try a lot of salt.
0: Oh yeah, eleven different kinds of salt. Yeah, There's seven kinds of salt and four blends.
1: It was really great. It was great to hear someone so passionate talk about salt like it was wine. That was my favorite part.
0: Oh yeah, or, or like a like a perfume, like a perfumer would discuss different scent notes. Yeah. So So yeah, so so we have uh, some of that interview for you to listen to. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, hi. Who who are
5: you? Cz Sheffield. I have a company called Beautiful Brownie C and. Atlanta's Historic Grant Park. Ooh, yeah.
0: um, and you guys produce a whole bunch
5: of salt blends and sugar blends and
0: yes. sprinkles and, yes. <laughs> and dry
5: goods is the way I like to think of it. So I've always been involved in food. I actually had a restaurant for 17 years. And when I moved back to Atlanta, my um, my hometown, I, I knew I didn't want to have a restaurant. And I tried to think of the most shelf-stable venture, um, where I could still work with fresh ingredients and farmers and local markets. And so salt seemed to be a perfect starting point, And it's actually become a palette to me. So a, a way to kind of express things and evoke flavors that I want or create items that kind of tell a story. So I'm like slightly salt overwhelmed right now. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're sitting here in front
0: of a spread of... Um, it looks like you've got four salt blends
5: and, well, I can't count, six types? Six. Uh-huh. We bring in, it's sort of like a, a laboratory back there. Any any type of salt, anything that I read about, anything that I find, you know, we just kind of bring it in, figure out it's, it's like where it hits on a salt scale and then what it finishes. So, um, but we use, the salt that I use in all of our blends, it's an Atlantic Ocean salt. Uh, the water's harvested off the coast of Brazil, it's solar evaporated, and um, I like it because it's slightly salt forward, but it has an immaculately clean finish. So it just picks up anything you blend with it. So, oh, wow. That um. <laughs> <laughs> so that's salt, unsalted, <laughs>
0: and only a little bit salty.
5: Yeah,
1: I <laughs> was a. Uh, I really enjoyed the research on this one. It was a lot, but oh yeah, so many fascinating, weird like salting mummies. You never know what you're going to run across.
0: Yeah, and I I definitely, I was having cocktails with coworkers last night and and did the thing where I was like, can I nerd out to you about this thing that I just learned because it's really cool. And they're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you two minutes. (laughs) Everyone everyone is usually pretty tolerant of it.
1: No, yeah. We work in an office where generally everyone has something like that. Oh, yeah. That they're going to tell you. Yeah. That's salt, and it brings us to (gasps) Listener Mail.
0: Yeah. That was inquisitive, but I like it.
1: Yeah. Because we weren't sure. We weren't. What was going to happen. <laughs> and you could hear it in our tone. You could. So, Elizabeth wrote, Annie's reminiscing about her elementary school celebrating St. Patty's Day gave me vague memories of leprechauns destroying the classroom. Not sure if that actually happened or if that was just the power <laughs> of suggestion. Anyway, what I do remember vividly is in second grade, we made leprechaun traps. They were made with green construction paper, paper towel tubes, shoe boxes, gold glitter, etc. Most would involve using a pot of gold and some sort—I'm going to assume that's not a real pot of gold, Elizabeth— and some sort of falling net covered pit (laughs) that the unwitting leprechaun would get trapped in trying to get to the gold. I remember my teacher telling us that leprechauns did not like to follow rules, so there were often signs saying things like, no trespassing and no gold here to reverse psychology the leprechauns and to folly for our traps. <laughs> when we came back from recess on St. Patty's Day, there would be Rolos in our traps, but sadly no leprechauns. Yeah. I had totally forgot about this until listening to the <laughs> Beef episode, so thank you for sparking that delightful memory.
0: That is a delightful memory. That
1: is. That, I love the reverse psychology signs. And this idea, like, we're going to trap some leprechauns today, kids. <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> Rolos
0: fun. are pretty great, so. Yeah. I would have been into it.
1: Yeah, and I like all—I'm a, I'm a big crafter, so <laughs> I would have been all about this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Skye wrote, So the reason I am writing is a peanut butter, mayonnaise, and pickle sandwich on whole wheat bread. My grandmother claims to be the inventor of the sandwich. In her words, it is the perfect balance of sweet from the peanut butter and salt from the pickle. I'm not sure how the mayo fits in, though. I might be her only customer, but since she started me young, this has become one of my favorite comfort foods. To this day, I always have a jar of Vlasic dill pickles, peanut butter, canola oil mayo, and or wheat whole wheat bread. Arnold here on the East Coast on hand. You might actually know my grandmother Cloris as Mama, Granny, Gam Gam, or Frau Blucher. She has been a huge influence on me and a TV grandmother for millions of others. I thought I would share our favorite weird food with you and let you know that this little sandwich has a prime spot in the kitchen of a celebrity. Well, we have to try it now, Lauren. We really do. I mean, I was, I was convinced beforehand. Yeah. But that Frau Blucher from Young Frankenstein, which is, uh, yeah, I, if, sh- if she likes it, I'm in.
1: Yeah. No questions asked. Absolutely. We've got to make this happen. And we will.
0: And we will. And <laughs> we will. <laughs> so thank you so much uh, to, to them for writing in. Yes. And
1: also, thank you to everyone who's sending pictures of your pets with food names. They are Please the keep light it. of my entire life. I know. And it's so fun to, like, randomly, when you're with someone, go, oh! <gasps> Yeah. Like exclaim with delight. Because
0: I do. I'll yeah, yeah, like wherever I am, I'll get the I'll get an email and go like oh oh and then make whoever I'm with look at pictures of pets. Yes. So please keep them coming. You can email us,
1: our email is foodstuff at com.
0: You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Foodstuff HSW and we are on Instagram at Foodstuff. We hope to hear from you. Thank you so much to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Yes, you, Dylan! Thanks again to our guest Susie from Beautiful Briny Sea. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by
1: Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.